while back, I was given a book written by George Barna entitled Revolution. Those of you all who are familiar with Barna, you know he's a Christian stats guy, and he and his, his group have reported a lot of helpful statistics about the state of things within the church and also with non-believers in the world. Their findings have been very, very helpful uh, to pastors like myself and, and other church leaders. And in this book, Revolution, what, what Barna does is he reports on a group of believers that, that he has studied that he calls revolutionaries. And he explains that, that this group's sole focus is on their relationship with God and really don't see the church as being necessary at all. And, and we know people like this, right? We've had encounters with people like this, people who just do not believe that the local church, local church involvement is an important part of their Christian life. And so what they do is they choose to just stay at home. They believe they could be a faithful follower of Jesus from the house, possibly watching church on TV with their family, maybe send a check to a televangelist and say, we've, we've been to church. We've done our part. Now, like I said, the stats that Barna and his group report about the rise in this group of people and their mentality is very helpful for people like me. But the problem I have with the book is that the prescription that Barna gives for the problem is not helpful at all. I would say that his prescription is worse than his diagnosis. What Barna says in the book is, that's just the way things are headed, so we need to embrace it. We need to embrace the fact that, that people are, are seeking to follow God outside of the local church. There's a major issue I have with this prescription, and that is called the Word of God, the Bible. It's not biblical. And those of you who have been with us over the years, you should know that. Or those of you who have just been with us through this study, you should know that by now. We have been discussing the vital role that the church plays when it comes to our growth in godliness. This morning, we're going to continue with that study. We are taking a break from our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to pick that up again in February, okay? So for those of you all ready to jump back in, hang with us, okay? But, but it's important that we take the first of the year to talk about who we are as a church in a sermon series I have entitled Discovering Fellowship. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago when I started this study that I shared with you at the mission for all churches, for all believers, given by Christ, is that we're to be making disciples. That's just what our church mission statement says. Just in case you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, let's look at our mission statement again briefly. Here it is. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, Establishing people in truth and equipping people for ministry. And what we have discussed so far in this study is that the church is the place where this happens. 
The church is the place where disciples are made. The church is to be the place where those who don't know Christ come to know Christ through the ministries of the church, but it doesn't stop there. It it starts there. That's just the beginning. We then are called to take those who have responded in repentance and faith and we're to pour into them. They're to be established in truth and equipped to go and do the same. Congregational life is very important. The church is very important because it is the means by which we mature as followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's the issue. Understanding that we need the church is a very difficult concept for us to grasp. It wasn't for those in the first century. While they knew that there were wolves within their church, those in the first century had no concept of of someone trying to live the Christian life outside of the Christian community. But for us today, this is a difficult concept because we're Americans. We're independent. We've been taught from an early age to be dependent upon no one but ourselves. We we have grown up hearing, if you want something done right, what? Do it yourself. This is spilled over into our spiritual lives. And as a result of this mentality, we often fail to value the church and relationships with other believers as we should because we've been brought up to be Dependent upon no one but numero uno. Look out for number one. Take care of ourselves. Now listen closely when I say this. This is a problem. And here's why. What we discover when we read God's word is that one of the key ways for us to grow in godliness, one of the key ways for us to mature in our faith is through valuing relationships and connecting with God's people in his church. Did you know you can't even be obedient to God if you don't connect with these people? How on earth can you love one another, care for one another, exhort one another, lovingly correct one another if you don't associate with one another? You can't do it. can't even be obedient. One of the key ways for us to mature in our faith is through valuing these relationships and connecting with God's people. We're going to learn this morning that if we want to grow in Christ, it will not happen unless we do that. Which is why we at Fellowship, we're all about connecting. We're all about living in community with God's people. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22 this morning. In this passage, Paul describes God's people in three ways. He gives three metaphors for God's people. We need to look at these because I believe understanding these truths about Christ's church from this passage of Scripture will help us better value healthy relationships and help us to better understand the importance of connecting with God's people and living in community with them. Here's the first metaphor Paul gives. Number one, we are equal citizens of God's kingdom. As believers. Look at verse 19. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
Now that phrase, so then, at the beginning of this verse, reminds us we are jumping into a passage of Scripture. And it's always important, whenever you do that, to ask, what's going on here? What's the, what's the context? Well, Paul is writing to the believers of his day. It's addressed, this book is addressed to the Ephesians, but because it's so general and he doesn't mention specifics about that particular body, many believe it was a circular letter. It was meant to, to it might have ended with the Ephesians, but it was meant to circulate, to be passed through the churches. So Paul is addressing the believers of his day, and he is addressing Gentiles here in particular. And at this time, many of the Gentiles, though they were one time outsiders when it came to God and His people spiritually and physically and ethnically and socially and covenantially, they had been grafted in. The Gentiles had been brought near to God through Christ alone, through their faith alone in Christ alone. They had been made a part of God's family. But while that was the case, some were still feeling as if they were on the outs, that they were outsiders. Paul says, no, that's wrong. You're not on the outs. There are not two different groups. There are not Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians with one being more important than the other. No, Paul says to the Gentiles, at one time you were separated in this way. You were foreigners, you were aliens, but no longer. He says, you have been brought together and are now one in Christ. There is no such thing as first tier and second tier Jew and Gentile Christians. The two groups have been brought together and have become one in Christ. Look back in verse 14. Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, talking about both groups, Jews and Gentiles, he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul tells his Gentile Christian audience here in this passage who they now are collectively with their Jewish brothers in Christ. He says, while you were once outside of God's kingdom, outside of His covenant, outside of His promises, separated from His people and from His Son, and were therefore without hope and without God in your lives and world, now in Christ, you who were once on the outs with God have been brought near. How? How are they brought near? Through their own works? Through personal efforts and, and devotion? Verse 13, by the blood of Christ. That's how they're brought near. He, Jesus alone, has made peace between us and God and between us as people, both Jew and Gentile, black and white, male and female, young and old, educated and uneducated, rich and poor. He has made us one in Christ. And He has broken down, He says, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, what was the wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles? Well, there were quite a few, right? Figurative walls and literal walls. I believe Paul is referring to a literal wall here, the wall in the temple. In that day, in the temple, there, were, there, there was a wall that divided the two groups. There were certain areas in the temple where the Jewish people could go, but the Gentiles could not. 
Paul is letting them know here in Christ, Christ has, has broken down that wall that once divided them. Not only was the veil in the temple torn, which represented the divide between God and man, but the wall that divided man and man, Jew and Gentile, was broken down in Christ as well. And Paul says now, in Christ, there is no separation between the groups. Look at verse 19 again. Paul says, so then, because you who were once two are now one, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer outsiders. The word strangers and aliens here could be used to describe people who live in another country, foreigners who do not have the rights of citizens. Paul is saying to the, to the Gentiles here, you at one time were separated in this way. You were a, a, a foreigner, an alien, separated from God's people, but no longer. You have now been brought together and you are one in Christ. You are fellow citizens. In other words, you have full citizenship just like your Jewish brothers in Christ because of Christ, through the blood of Christ. You are all equal citizens of God's kingdom. And get this, believers, when we realize this, when we realize this applies to us, Paul is speaking to us, God through his apostle is speaking to us today when we realize this truth that we are, we are equal citizens of God's kingdom as believers and when we live in that reality, you know what happens? When the church realizes and applies this truth, the church begins to reflect the reality of the gospel. Now let me explain what I mean here. God's church has the potential to be a powerful illustration of the gospel. You ever looked at the church? There are people who attend the church from all different walks of life, aren't there? There are. Churches made up of male and female, old and young, people with different styles, different tastes, from different races, different cultures, rich and poor. All of these people you would never expect to be together, and, and they come together as a church. And what is the common bond that brings them together? It's Christ. In Christ, we as diverse as we are become one body. In Christ, we become equal citizens of God's kingdom. The church is, is made up of a group of unlikely people who have been called by God. People you would not expect to be friends. People who may have even at one time been enemies. It's people with nothing in common but Jesus Christ and the gospel brings them together like nothing else could. I had this experience a couple of weeks ago. Met another pastor, completely different background than me. We talked for hours about Jesus. That's what brought us together. It's Christ and His gospel that causes that dividing wall to come down. And it's in Christ that we can come together and become one and love one another no matter our differences as believers. And when we make a commitment to do this, when we make that commitment to live in community with God's people, we grow in godliness through that interaction. Sometimes it's difficult, but it's fruitful. 
when we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this way. And God uses those interactions to make us more like Christ. And when we do this, church, we demonstrate the reality and the power of the gospel to the world. No matter our age, no matter our gender, no matter our, our, our race or cultural differences, it's important that we as believers meet together and view each other as equal citizens of God's kingdom. That's who we are. One of the surest ways to ruin our witness for Christ to this world is to neglect God's people, to not associate with God's people due to these lesser differences or to only be loving and friendly toward those who are like us. Christ has torn down those barriers and he ushers all believers into his kingdom together. And people are able to see that God is love and Christ is Lord when they see the church living in harmony in this way and in unity with one another. So it's very, very important for us to realize all believers are equal citizens of God's kingdom. Second description Paul uses as believers is this. We are all equal members of God's family. As if being a citizen of God's kingdom were not enough. I mean, let's be honest, that's great, right? In and of itself, God's work through Jesus Christ draws us even closer together to Him and to one another than that. Through Christ, we are made members of God's household. Paul says at the end of verse 19, members of the household of God. In other words, we're a family. We as believers are a family. And once again, Paul is making this point to show there is no partiality, no favoritism in God's family, no divisions in, in God's family. We get the hint that that's the way some of the Gentiles were feeling. Some of them were feeling, yeah, you know, we're, we're in, but we're just barely in. We're still outsiders. Paul says, no, you're not. Because of your faith in Christ, all of you, without exception, are one. Paul says, when you trust in Christ, alone for your salvation, you are in. You are in the family. You have been brought in as a son or a daughter and are equal with the rest. You are just as much a part of the family of God as any other follower of Christ. If He is your Lord, He is your life, His righteousness is yours by faith, placing you on equal ground with all the rest. And because this is the case, Paul goes on later in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, the great swing verse that divides the book in two, chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, it's a great therefore because it covers all that Paul has said from chapters one through chapter three. He says, therefore, because of what Christ has done for you, because of, it, because of the fact that in Christ you are equal citizens of God's kingdom and equal members of his family, therefore, in light of that truth, I urge you, Paul says, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, because you're an equal citizen of God's kingdom, an equal member of his family, because you're a child of God, you need to walk worthy of that. You need to act like it. That's what our Father wants. 
He wants us to learn to live together as believers, to live with our our differences as brothers and sisters in Christ, not in isolation with just Him, but with Him and with one another. And it's through living in community with God's people that we grow and that we mature. Sure, if we had time and went around the room today, we would hear story after story of those who have been a part of this ministry over the years who have who have benefited greatly spiritually from the interactions they've had with one another, how they've been sharpened, how they've been molded to make, be made more like Jesus. When we have issues with one another, God doesn't want us to part ways and say, you know what, I'm just going to be the church from my house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a, a, a church service on TV in my home so that I can hear God's word without dealing with this people. Now, God wants you to deal with this people. He wants you to live in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are so quick to quit on the church. We are. Somebody looks at us crossly and we're out. You know who didn't quit on the church? Paul. He did not quit on the church. And he dealt with a lot worse junk than we do. Just read the epistles. If he could deal with Corinth... And the problem's there. We can deal with one another. Just read the book. He wants you to value his family. To love his family. Connect and remain connected to his family. So that you grow and mature into who he has called for you to be in Jesus. Number three. Third metaphor God uses of the church. The third description he gives of the people of God is that we are a building. We are equal parts of God's building. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here Paul describes the people of God as a building. That's that's a bit different, right? Than, than citizens and members of a family. Notice he says here that the foundation of this building are the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ. Now, what is Paul getting at here by giving us this metaphor? What, what he's telling us here is this. God is building a community of people. He is building his kingdom people. That is the main storyline of the word of God. God, through his Christ, is building a kingdom of redeemed people for their joy and for his glory. That is the storyline of Scripture. That is what God is up to. And the apostles and prophets, they play a pivotal role in that they are the foundation layers of this building. Now, I alluded to this a few weeks ago. I think this text offers up a good argument for the fact that there are not still apostles and prophets in our church today the same way they existed in the first century because Paul mentions that they are a part of the foundation. They played a a pivotal role in the, the constructing of God's building. Now, I know that's a metaphor, so we need to be careful we don't press the details of this metaphor too far to develop our theology, but I think it's one of those passages that gives a a strong argument for that. The apostles and the prophets, they're the foundation of this building. 
They have written the revelation of God for us. And they have taken his message, God's gospel message from God's word out into the world. They have made Christ known. And that's the reason we know him. Because of their work. Because of their obedience. Because of their faithfulness. And believers, we have their word today, don't we? God's word. We have the words of the apostles and the prophets here. As they were carried along by the Spirit of God. And this is to be our foundation. God's word. Paul goes on to say that the chief cornerstone of this building is the Lord Jesus. The cornerstone was a block of great importance. It was a stone set into the foundation of the building to properly square the building. It was also a block used to bind together sides of a building. It was was what helped the building stand strong and stand together. You see where he's going with that? The cornerstone also served as the capstone, the keystone, the last stone placed at the top of the structure. Christ is certainly all of those things, right? He is the foundation of the church. The church exists because of Christ. If it were not for Jesus, if it were not for who he is and what he's done for us, we wouldn't have the church. Without Jesus, we would not be forgiven and restored to God. Without Christ's work that he accomplished at at Calvary, we would not be born again. We would not be new creatures, saints. We would not have life. We would be lost and alone without a hope in the world. If it were not for Christ, we would not be brought together, united and strong. He's also the capstone, the keystone, the head of the body, the church. Look at verse 21. Paul says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This verse here explains what our role is, church, in the assembling of God's building. What we're to be doing as a church is we're to be coming together, coming behind and under Christ, our cornerstone, and behind the works of the apostles and the prophets to build up and to complete the structure, to build up the kingdom of God. That's that's our role. That's what we're to be doing as a church, and that happens when the church is committed to making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. That is why it's important that we commit ourselves to making disciples, because we are called to build on the work that Christ accomplished at Calvary and the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. Now notice something interesting here. Notice the phrase, join together. This gives us a picture of stones being laid. In our day, it would be bricks. The process is a lot easier today than it was in their context because bricks are the same size. Once again, knowing the context, it, it helps us here make some good application. In the first century... The joining together or the putting together of a structure was a much more rigorous process. It was difficult because it involved chipping away and smoothing out stones, fitting them together to make a firm and steady structure. God's people are being fitted together and joined together in this way. 
And at times, it's not a smooth and easy process, right? It can be painful, but it's necessary. Sometimes when people get upset with somebody else in the church and they cut out, they're probably cutting out on a work that God was going to do in and through the interactions with that person. You can see God's grace even in the difficulties we have with one another because through that, He can show things that, that's in our hearts that don't need to be there. And He can work in and through that. And that's the work He's doing. At times, it's difficult. At times, it brings about conflict. But it's what God is up to. He is about taking us as believers with the rough edges that we have and chipping away at us and smoothing us down through our interaction with other believers so that we can be joined together as His building, as His church. That's what God is, is, is doing through Paul's ministry in the book of Ephesians. He is using Paul to chip away at the rough edges of both the Jews and the Gentile believers. He's smoothing them out so that he can join them together and build up this strong structure. For what reason? For what purpose? He tells us, verse 22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Christ, we are being chipped away and smoothed out in our, in our interaction with, with God's people in the church to be made more like Jesus so that we can be joined together and be strong, a strong, holy dwelling place for God. That is the work God is doing, believers, in His church. When we as, as individual believers individually indwell with the Spirit of God, when we meet together corporately for, for worship and in times of, of study through the Word, we grow godliness through that process alongside of one another. When we, when we gather together for the purpose of pouring into one another and, and lovingly correcting one another, exhorting one another, we, we sharpen one another through that process. And through that, we become more of an, an Ephesians 2.22 church, a holy dwelling place for God, a city on a hill blazing brightly for Him. That should be our aim. That should be the reason why we're gathered. Next time you have a difficult encounter with someone, praise the Lord. God's going to show you something about yourself in that encounter. It's all grace. And God will use that to make you more like Jesus. Closer to who he has called you to be than if you didn't have that encounter. That's the work God is doing. Through the good and the bad encounters as God's people meet together. He's moving us to make us this holy dwelling place for himself. So I hope you see this morning how important it is to connect and live in relationship with God's people. God is doing something big through his church. He is building his church he is calling out a community of people to become this special, holy dwelling place for Him. Let me end by saying this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a part of this kingdom community. 
God's word is clear. I'm not going to lessen the blow here. His word is clear that if Christ is not your Lord, you are his enemy. There is no in-between. Read the book. And that's bad news for the enemies, but the good news is you can move from there. You can move from being a, a condemned sinner to a forgiven saint. From an outsider to a citizen of God's kingdom. From an enemy to a son by forsaking your sin and making Christ Lord of your life. Christ came for this reason. God the Son came from heaven to earth. He took on flesh. He lived the perfect life we could never live. And he laid that life down and took it up again. He was raised on the third day after his crucifixion so that if we would hate our sin and forsake our sin and look to him and believe on him and trust in him alone for salvation, we could be forgiven of our sin and restored to God. If you're here this morning, you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus. If Christ is not Lord of your life, I invite you to surrender your life to him today. Make him Lord of your life and be saved. Let's pray together.